Hello, spooky friends. Before we start, I just wanted to let everyone know that the Would You Die podcast just launched a Patreon. It's indeed very exciting times, and you should join. Three separate tiers of $5, $10, and $20, and this Patreon features all sorts of perks, like monthly bonus episodes, movie commentaries, an exclusive mug, and much, much more. Check it out, see if there's anything you like, and I really, really hope you consider joining. I'm going to take the time to shout out my current patrons, John Owens, Waffle Woodworking, Adele Kazaborski, Andrew and Maggie, Lisa Petersmark, Lex Vranick, and Eric Barassa. Thank you guys so, so much. Time for the show. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're going to need a bigger boat. Be my victim. You are all my children now. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by actor, voice actor, and award-winning horror and sci-fi film director, Joe Filipponi. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. And today, we are talking about icons of 1970s exploitation horror particularly the films night of the cobra woman and elsa the she-wolf of the ss it's gonna be fun i'm excited to talk about them i am really happy that you picked these films i did <laughs> not get to the other else elsa films unfortunately i know there are a few more but i only watched the first one but these are films I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited if you watch the the last three Ilsa films to to hear your thoughts on them. And for sure, I'm I'm excited that you didn't watch all of them because now I'm like, ooh, now I can like come back in like a couple of months or a couple <laughs> of weeks after he's watched them, and we can do like a sequel thing. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I mean, come um, on, or you have to have the sequel. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, you got a horror icon when they get the second and the third and the fourth films. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, you have a horror icon like with Ilsa, where the fourth film isn't even like Ilsa canon, but they just threw in the the title to to you know, go off of that fame and, and the success of the other films so that people would go in and watch it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know they did that with a couple of the direct-to-video Hellraiser movies. Like That's they would get I... they would get scripts, uh original spec scripts or something like that, and be like, you know, we have the Hellraiser uh <laughs> right. Just throw Pinhead in there, call it a day. <laughs> yeah. I wanna I want to take the time because I know a lot of people who listen to this show are just getting into the horror genre and 70s exploitation horror is wild. That's not yeah. for everybody. No, it's 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 not. It's a very specific audience. It's um, 70s horror is a very specific feel. 
um, you know when you're watching a, a 70s film and you know when you're watching a 70s horror exploitation film. But yeah, it's just they, the filmmakers and then the people there, um, with a lot of them, they just kind of went balls to the wall and just kind of went for it. You know, you can tell that they weren't worried about offending people. They wanted to tell their story. They wanted to tell whatever their their passion was for for this project. And I think that's why a lot of people, myself included, really like the 70s exploitation horror genre, because you can tell like they weren't making it for money. I mean, that might have been in the back of their minds like, oh, uh, you know, let's get a bunch of like beautiful women and, and get them topless and throw in some sex scenes and, and you know, some like violence and people are going to come and, and watch it in the drive-ins or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think it's just because people wanted to make art. And I think it's people, directors and, and actors and actresses that weren't really mainstream Hollywood and that mainstream Hollywood really didn't know what to do with them. And so they were able to find these careers and and in some cases get their start in films like this and then go on to um, mainstream. That's kind of a little bit of, of what happened with um, Marlene Clark and Night of the Cobra Woman. She, uh, you know, did Ganja and Hess, and then she did yeah. Night of the Cobra Woman. And then a couple of years later, she's playing, you know, um, Lamont's girlfriend on Sanford and Son. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did a little bit of re, uh, research after I watched Night of the Cobra Woman. And when I found that little fact app out, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and then you yeah. watch her episodes of Sanford and Son, and she's so different from from Lena, from the character that she played in the film. Like it's it's mm -hmm. it's really funny to to see. I I think it's great. Um, speaking of getting starts in horror, what was your start in horror? When did you know this was the genre for you? I've always loved horror since I was a little kid for as long as I can remember. Maybe it's because I'm a Scorpio. I was supposed to be born on, on Halloween, but I came a week early. Halloween's always been my uh, favorite ho holiday. It's always been my favorite time of year. But yeah, when I was little, I just remember like I would always watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then when the, the Goosebumps TV series came out, I would watch that. I read all of the Goosebumps books, all of the Fear Street books, Ma and Pa Dracula, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, of course. Anything that was horror, I had to, to watch. Um, my favorite episodes of TV shows was always the Halloween episodes, whether it was the, the cartoons that I would watch or the, the sitcoms. I was just always fascinated by by that and i've always been fascinated by that kind of like creepy weird kind of kind of stuff i saw my first horror movie i was about six or seven and and it was the wolfman from from 1941 um that one's still one of my favorites because i think that kind of started my my love for horror movies 
And I wanted to watch that because in one of the episodes of Full House, the, the girls watch the Wolfman in that episode and they showed some clips of mm -hmm. it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I turned to my parents, I was like, I want to see that movie. And and they were like, well, oh, all right, let's, let's see. <laughs> but um, even with cartoons, like my favorite cartoons were always like Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, Johnny Quest. I and, and my favorite episodes of Johnny Quest were always the ones with like the real monsters, like the invisible monster, monster in the monastery with the abominable snowman. But always just been interested in that too. Like I totally have always believed that Bigfoot and the Yeti are real. Always wanted to go on expeditions to find them. Believe in aliens, <laughs> all of that. So I never ever lost that love even now like i spend so much of my money buying like you know these cursed haunted creepy looking dolls if you follow like my social media you'll see like all my photos when i get a new one um it's it's <laughs> kind of an unhealthy obsession but <laughs> i i can never do that because i 100 believe in in uh ghosties like i don't mess with it and not not that like I'm afraid they would be mean to me because why would they? But yeah. at the same time, why would I push my luck? <laughs> and it's so funny. I'm like, I totally always want to push my luck. Um, <laughs> last year, I was doing a, a movie in Vegas and I was out there for like two weeks doing this movie. And I got there a couple of days early um, with some other friends that were out there. And we all went to Zach Baggins Haunted Museum. I wanted to buy like everything in that museum. And we went into the haunted doll room. I was just like, okay, how can I steal all of these? And just, <laughs> oh, I brought these from home. And, and you know, they've got like the, that real haunted doll that's like behind the glass and and they're like oh you know don't piss her off and whatever like you know i was like that smart ass like i looked right at her i was like yeah haunt me what are you gonna do like do your worst i dare you to do something <laughs> i could never i it's could so, never <laughs> it's so funny like my my boyfriend gets like so like mad at me because we'll be watching stuff on youtube about like haunted cursed objects and i'll like always look over to him i'm like babe how come they get to like have haunted objects and i don't how come they get to live in a haunted house and i don't <laughs> <laughs> that's my dream to like live in an actual like haunted house i would love that i have very different dreams but <laughs> <laughs> but i'm manifesting this for you thank I you i'm a. Uh... I'm sending the the good vibes that one day you will live in a haunted house. Thank you. If I ever if I ever find myself in a living situation and it's haunted, I know who I'm going to call. Yeah. You're like, hey, trading places. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned the Wolfman, mostly because I fucking love the Universal Monsters. Yeah. And the Wolfman especially because I love werewolves. And I have to say, quick tiny tangent. By the way, there's going to be so many tangents. That's oh, yeah. just part of my show. Ilsa, the Sea Wolf of the SS. I have to admit, I was kind of disappointed. I thought she was going to turn into a werewolf at one point. That would have been awesome. That would have been. I, I think it's because I saw the Rob Zombie like fake trailer when Tarantino yeah. and Rodriguez mm -hmm. did did their Grindhouse thing. Yeah, I think it's because I saw that and I was too young when Grindhouse came out. So I've only seen like Death Proof and Planet Terror on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't really seen the 
fake trailers, except I went when I was in middle school. My mom took me to a Rob Zombie concert. Hmm. Nice. And it was like my second concert ever. That's really cool. It was I I was very young and it, I learned a lot of things that I was never exposed to before. <laughs> I bet. Uh, and it was a huge it, it's funny because my first concert ever, which my mom also took me to, was Def Leppard and Sticks. Okay. Which is a great concert. I loved it. But my second one was Rob Zombie and Ozzy Osbourne. And that's <laughs> a very different crowd. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I went zero to 60. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. Did you like um, the, the Universal Monsters? Now I'm going to go off on a, on a tangent. Yes, please. Um, have you seen the Spanish language Dracula that they that they did? I have not yet. I own it. Okay. I own it. It's uh, you, on one of my Blu-rays. You got to watch it and you got to let me know what you think. I personally, I think it's better than the English language Dracula. And I know that's an unpopular opinion. It just feels like a more complete film to me. Whereas mm -hmm. the, the English Dracula, and I, I love the the English um, version of Dracula. It feels more like a series of like vignettes than, than a, a full film. I've always had that thought about it. Got I I I gotta do it. My problem is because I have a a box set, a Blu-ray box set of the films, which I watch maybe once every two months. I'll put one of them in because okay. I gotta get my my classic monsters. Yeah. But I almost always gravitate towards Frankenstein or the Wolfman. <laughs> Yeah. So I'll watch Frankenstein and the Wolfman a couple times a year and I'll be like, I don't know. Dracula's just never want to. And it's a great film. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people thinking I dislike Dracula. It's just I would rather put in the other monsters first. That's funny. <laughs> but um, next time I put in Dracula, I'm going to do the Spanish version for sure. Yeah, yeah it's really good. And uh, I've been mean, I haven't had the chance yet, but I've been having the itch to watch uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, yeah, that's such a good one. And I haven't seen it in a little while, which is weird because he was my favorite growing up because mm. he looked like a. I know he's a fish man, but he looked like a dinosaur. So, yeah, so I I, I love anyone who knows me knows how much I love dinosaurs, but <laughs> that's why I'm like. And I just feel like there's been a lot of like creature love on social media recently. And I do know yeah, um, the he, actor who played on past. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but I know he was 93. Yeah. What was his name? Uh I'm gonna get so mad when I look this up later. I'm 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 blanking too. I'm I'm I always have to look up people's names. <laughs> and it's like I was just talking about about him literally the other day and that's um, <laughs> i'm looking i'm looking it up because yeah, <laughs> because this is uh okay i don't know how to say i think it's rico browning yeah Re right. rico spelled r-i-c-o-u so i've i don't know if i'm saying it right i've always pronounced it as rico 
Okay, cool. But I might be wrong. I mean, but... (laughs) But yeah, like... And then it was just the anniversary a couple days ago. We are recording this in early March. This episode will probably... If you're listening to it, it's probably early, mid-April. Podcasting's weird. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking in the future. Ooh. (laughs) And the funniest thing is everything I'm saying right now, I'm not going to remember in a month. So when we're going to listen to this, (laughs) we're going to be like, ooh, that's interesting. Exactly. And sometimes I have a completely different opinion than I had like the month before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that's why I love podcasting. I'll, uh, I'll always be held accountable when I say stupid shit. No one will ever forget. (laughs) (laughs) But like at this point in time, like Dracula's lower on my list of the Universal Monsters. And a month, he might be my favorite one. Who can tell? Yeah, I totally get you. So we talk about how you got into the horror genre as a fan. How did you get into filmmaking? Um, so I've been an, uh, an actor for a long, long time. I did my first play when I was six. Um, so it's been like 30 years that I've been acting now. Um, and I never really had the goal of becoming a director. Um, a lot of people that I knew were like, oh, you'll probably like, go into directing because you've like got that eye and you're really good with actors and and you're good at making people feel comfortable and and all that. And I had a lot of psychics that would tell me that I was going to be a really great director and that people were going to know my name, you know, all of that. So during the pandemic and during the lockdown, I started doing it. A casting director had um, like just a little contest to like make a a film on or a movie on your phone so i just did Mm -hmm. it for fun and then a director had another um contest to make like a a horror movie on your phone but just use what was around in in your house so like you couldn't leave and whatever so i did that for fun and then on facebook uh this producer wanted to make a a movie called um pandemic and it was like 50 years of of film fans doing one scene from a movie uh we picked a year and then we picked a movie and then we did we did a scene to recreate again in our house using what we had so i did that and through that i met a um director called uh named matthew uh mark hunter his production company is called MMH Productions. And he did an anthology film called Deadly Numbers. And it was kind of like ABCs of death, but it was used with with numbers. So we had to incorporate whatever number we got. And, and the numbers were assigned to us randomly. And so I did that and then just started directing more for Matthew when he had anthologies that he was doing and then got invited from some other producers to do some uh, films for their anthologies and then got involved with a group called Just Scare Me. And with that group, you basically have two months to make a horror film. And if you don't get it in by the deadline, 
uh, you owe the group a hundred dollars. So it's really mm. just, it's a way of like, okay, stop talking about making your fucking movie. And with all the excuses, get up your ass, you know, get, get off your ass and just make the goddamn thing. So <laughs> yeah, Good. so I've been, doing, I've, I've, I've been doing that maybe about a year now. I've been with Just Scare Me. Um, so that's just a way, you know, I've been finding my voice and experimenting and doing that. And the nice thing about the Just Scare Me group is it's not like a competition. It really is just kind of like a gym where you can go and you can like try stuff out. There's no judgment. You know, no one is like, oh my God, that sucked. You're awful. You should never like direct again. Like everybody's really supportive, which, mm -hmm. you know, not only in this business, but also in this day and age, you don't get a lot. So. Right. <laughs> because of of covid i kind of started doing it and i found out that i i really like directing i like working with with actors actors do like working with me because a lot of my stuff i don't use uh scripts i'll just have actors improv and i'll just have them like come up with stuff on them you know by themselves so it's not like rigid you know it's really and I, i'm quick and easy like you know it, they'll be done in like 45 minutes you know so mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love that a lot. I'm going to take the time now to transition to Night of the Cobra Woman. Mm -hmm. Mostly because I could keep talking about uh, filmmaking and it's a completely different podcast. No, right. <laughs> but, uh, but I really want to make sure I give a good amount of time to Night of the Cobra Woman and to the Elsa films. Why did you pick Night of the Cobra Woman as one of your choices? I love cobras. So anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> any, any movie that has to that has like a cobra in it or that has snakes in it. I, I love I think I've seen probably like every killer snake movie that there is, especially the the ones from like the 70s and, and all the like nature on the loose movies from from the 70s they're just so fun um but i think one of the things that i like about night of the cobra woman is it's such an interesting premise of like you know this woman you know is is bitten by this snake that you don't we don't know if it's like a god or a goddess or exactly what the the cobra is but you know then she has you know this power to stay young forever as long as she like sleeps with these men and like kind of sucks the life out of them through sex um and i think it i like it because it kind of i think it plays almost on a lot of fears that i guess mostly straight men have about like you know women kind of like sucking them dry and that like succubus kind of fear mm. that a lot of men have and that fear of women that you know a lot of men have and, and emasculating them plus i like the fact and and i'm always a big proponent of this you have a black woman as a lead in a 70s film that's not black exploitation where she's playing an educated beautiful nurse she's not playing a stereotype Yes, there's like some witchcraft and voodoo stuff in it, but it's not like hair wild, weird, you know, grotesque makeup. They're, they always have, they, they always keep Marlene Clark classy in it. Yeah. And 
I like the fact that the filmmakers of it and the actors were brave enough to have a, a white actor and a, a black actress doing love scenes and kissing and showing them being passionate because okay you have to remember night of the cobra woman this is 1972 yeah. so we just had the first interracial kiss on tv in 68 with star trek right we haven't had the jeffersons yet jeffersons was in 1975 so we haven't had the interracial couple on tv yet and now you've got this movie you know with this beautiful black woman having you know an affair with a white man because he has a girlfriend right you know and i i i love the fact too that even though lena marlene clark's character is supposed to be like you know the quote-unquote villain she's likable we root for her and they kind of make joy bang who plays the the white girlfriend joanna they kind of make her the villain and you kind of yeah. don't like her and the the black woman kind of triumphs over the white woman in the end because spoiler alert not only does she end up with the white man but at the end of the movie again major spoiler joanna the white woman takes the mango and eats the mango and the mangoes have the cobra venom in it so you know she's going to die right <laughs> <laughs> So that's a long-winded answer of why I like Night of the Cobra Woman. It's 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 a fun movie. Is it great art? Is it great acting? No, not really. There's a lot of things wrong with it. Like a lot of the story doesn't make sense. A lot of the editing is weird, you know. It should have been longer. I think if someone was to remake it today as like a, you know, maybe a a four-part series or something. I think it would be really good and really successful. But I mean, you know, it's it's fun on a, a rainy afternoon or a late night just to pop in a movie where you don't have to think. And that's not yeah. trying to like shove a huge message down your throat. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's a message of sometimes you want to leave your human body and you want to be a snake. Yeah. I relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that you point out the the interracial relationship because I didn't think of that when I watched it the other day because I like to think we're in a better time where that's a bit more normalized and I know that unfortunately there are still people that have issues with shit like yeah. that and I just like why it's 2023 but I didn't I didn't think of that interracial relation because that you're absolutely right that's not a thing in the 70s that's on in movies or on tv because yeah. like the only like there's usually a whole movie you, sorry usually if you would see that in a movie with like a, a a white man with a with a black woman you know the the black woman is is a prostitute or like you yeah. know she's she's lower she's beneath the 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 white guy Exactly. And like the only movie I can think of that kind of tackles interracial relationships and does not tackle tackle it like Night of the Cobra Woman does <laughs> is the um I'm blanking on the name, but the Sydney Portier movie. Oh, uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah. Yes. Like that's the only one I can think of. Yeah. 
but but again you know that movie had a very strong message and you get right. that and you're like okay this is why they they did that whereas you know i i, I was re-watching all you know all the ilsa films and, and neither cobra woman mm -hmm. last night to just be as prepared as i could for this and last night was really actually the first time where the the interracial relationship hit me with with neither cobra woman and i think in my past viewings of it and maybe this is why you know it also didn't come out big with you but they don't make a big deal out of it like they right. just, they play it so very naturally like hey it's it doesn't matter these are two people that you know whatever you want to call it that are in love or have a, a sexual connection or a physical connection or in lust you know whatever it the the color of their skin is like second nature it's thrown away right and they normalize it which is so important yeah and the fact that you know when the movie starts when you first see marlene clark as this nurse it's supposed to be in the 40s so you know they have like a black woman as a nurse in like you know the 40s during the war right ah uh, i <laughs> We were messaging earlier and we were talking about this before recording that I didn't really care for this film, but I did mention like I'm excited to talk about it because when I start talking about it, I'm going to be appreciating it more. Yeah. And I'm like, that's exactly what's happening. I'm finding <laughs> I'm I'm able to like think about it and talk about it. and that. God, this is why I love podcasting. <laughs> yeah. I will also say, I think I like night of the cobra woman because it has one of my favorite lines of of any movie when he's talking about the cobra and he says oh uh why don't you defang it to make it more dangerous and marlene clark says yeah. you know, defanging a snake is like castrating a man his very essence is in his venom and i love that line i just love the symbolism of it i love that thing of like it, because i mean it is very true and oh and, yeah I love that metaphor. No, I love that too. I, uh, cause that's something that really stuck out to me. And I love the production design in that it's not like, I guess it's kind of like the voodoo that altar. altar. Yeah. They're beautiful. Like I, and I have never found out if they were in an actual cave in the Philippines and they just like, you know, use chalk and drew stuff, or if they actually built that in some studio that that was out there. But that is such a beautiful set. It is. And I remember just like watching watching those scenes and then I'd get distracted from like the story being told because I'm just looking at all the like <laughs> this beautiful set. I do have to acknowledge because like we said at uh, up top, these films are not for everyone. These are exploitation films. And a lot of people listening, I know you guys are newer to the horror genre. Night of the Cobra Woman does have depictions of animal violence and it's actual violence because these were cheap films in the 70s yeah, shot in the they, Philippines. They, they didn't care about that. You know, they didn't. They they didn't have people from from the humane society on right. on set, which I think is is sad because I'm not for animal violence 
at all. And when you really do look at the the films from the 70s, especially a lot of the cannibal movies and the the nature on the loose movies, you do see a lot of the that real violence and you hear stories about, you know, the the real violence that was done toward these animals, even, um, you know, reportedly the the movie Stanley about the the killer rattlesnake in in the 70s, they said once that movie was done, the director killed the the rattlesnake they used for Stanley and he made a belt out of it or mm. not, not the belt, a, a, a wallet. He made a, a snakeskin wallet out of it, which is like, why do you have to do that? Like release right. it back into the into the wild or or donate it to a zoo you know i mean if you donate it to a zoo you can still have your wallet when the snake passes exactly have the stipulation you know right like a, a little you know bow tie or something on it so they know which snake it is or have you know put him in a separate little cage right yeah and um, because I know since you're talking about this, people are going to be interested in these films. And I hope you I hope everyone is. I hope that these films are able to continue to find audiences because they're unique. They're artistic. And I I believe they deserve audiences. That being said, when something has actual like animal violence in it. Yeah, I believe in warning people. Same, same, because, yeah. you know, that's not for everyone. And, right. and, you know, it's it's very different when you're watching, you know, something like the Ilsa films, you know, and you see them like, you know, flogging someone or, or ripping a woman's teeth out, you know, right. you know that that's fake, you know, like, oh, okay, she was fine. Like, after that, you know, they probably went to lunch. But then you see, like, <laughs> you, you know, you you, you, you right. see the animal violence, and that's very hard to keep your suspension of disbelief. And you're like, oh my gosh, like this is you know animal snuff film now, right? And that that really that really took me out of it because, like, a little tangent. My one of my favorite movies of all time is the 1980s testosterone horror classic Predator. Oh yeah. And there's this one shot where one of the one of the guys on the mercenary team kicks a bird. Oh. And every time I'm like, why the fuck was that in the movie? There is yeah. no reason to really kick a bird. <laughs> and... There's something about violence against animals where like even, you know, in the, the animated version of, of Little Mermaid, when when Ursula's walking down the aisle and she kicks mm. the dog. When he's when he's growling every yeah. time I'm like, ooh, and and Ursula's my favorite villain. I love her. She's my spirit animal. But every time I'm like, really, you had to kick the damn dog. <laughs> right. And it's like it, and it's one thing when it's like depicted violence. Yeah. Like I like I always squirm when it's depicted violence towards animals. But then when the shit is real, it it takes me out. Yeah. And I'm just especially because. It was one of those things where I'm like, oh, cool. It's an eagle versus a snake. And then like, I'm watching, I'm like, oh my God, I think this is real. I don't want this. Yeah. And it's a long scene like we were talking about. It is like drawn out. So for me, that's 
I don't know if I'll watch the film ever again, um, just because that's going to be a huge cloud over it for me. Yeah. But I am glad that I've seen it at least once in my lifetime, because something I want to get, I want to do is, I mean, when you have a horror movie podcast, you kind of present yourself as a horror movie expert. So <laughs> I want to be able to earn that, like earn that for real. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think also, too, with horror, I think people forget about the subgenres. I think people either yeah. think like, OK, there's horror like silent film Nosferatu or mm -hmm. the, the like 20s and 30s, you know, classic stuff from like Universal and, and things like that. And then it's almost like people then fast forward to then like 80s slasher to now. And and people forget yeah. and don't realize all of the stuff, especially in the 70s um, that came out. And, you know, especially with just all of the different countries that were then making films in the 70s and were doing horror stuff like, you know, like like Italy and and South America and, and mm -hmm. all of that. Well, I'm really glad you say that because like and I'm guilty of this as well. But I feel like a lot of people, when they think of the 70s, we only think of the classics. Yeah. So it's like, oh, because the 70s were great for horror. Mm -hmm. When you think of the classics, it's The Exorcist and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Alien and Jaws and Halloween. Like the best of the genre, really. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead. and And then... When you actually look at the 70s, it's like there's so much more in the 70s than just the classics. Yeah. And not just with the horror genre, but with every genre. It was like, right. they were like really going for it. And it was such a great decade for cinema and especially horror, because like like I said earlier, I don't know that much about the exploitation genre. Prior to this, I think I really just know Wes Craven's uh, The Last House on the Left. Yeah. Well, and the interesting well, thing that I've seen, I know more, but of what well, I've seen, the, I know. The, then the interesting thing with exploitation is then you've got all the subgenres of, right. of exploitation. Then you've got like the sexploitation, you've got black exploitation. You've got the nun exploitation films. You've got, you know, the Nazi exploitation stuff right. that, that came out. There's just so much of it. And it's just really, it's a very interesting decade in cinema. I always, uh, like, yeah. my biggest regret as an actor is that I wasn't around in the 70s because that's some of like my favorite films my favorite time i would have loved to have done movies in the 70s i probably would have been in like all of all of these horror films <laughs> <laughs> well you know i'm gonna manifest i can't manifest you uh getting a delorean and going back in time to the 70s <laughs> but i can't manifest uh you being part of the resurgence of exploitation yeah maybe a renaissance are, yeah are you know there's a resurgence of slasher films so yeah <laughs> maybe you could get into some of the nastier ones that would be nice although um you know i i think 
Diane Thorne, you know, who was who was an Ilson and rest in peace. She died mm -hmm. in, in 2019. Um, but they they did an interview with her like around 2011, 2012, and and they asked her about you know the exploitation films that she had done and the films in the 70s. And I think she said it best. She said, you know, the our our country and our world, it's kind of a little bit too sensitive now to to kind of do those films and and to be accepted for for doing those films and our our world's in a very sensitive spot where she didn't know if those films would ever be able to go over again if they were made today and i kind of echo that sentiment i think you would have to be very careful and and very respectful of of doing films like that but it could be a fun experiment to try maybe i'll maybe i'll try that one day i do think and we are for sure transitioning into Elsa and the She-Wolf of the SS. It is now an Elsa podcast. <laughs> um, but having watched that film and literally just finishing, because I, I, I told I told you a little earlier, I'm going to tell everyone listening to the podcast. I watched Elsa and the She-Wolf of the SS last night. I put it on way too late. And I like fell, I dozed off, fell asleep a little bit. So I had to rewatch the last 20 minutes of that film while I, while I ate my dinner. And yeah, when it you was said you were going to watch that while eating dinner, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be an interesting discussion now. Well, I had a feeling it. Uh, I had a feeling it was going to be that way, judging from the rest of the film. Yeah. But I still wasn't prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just say I ate really quickly. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> but but now that we're talking about Ilsa, I think there are I don't I think you're I think her sentiment is right. I don't think you can get away with making a film like that today. But there are elements I, I can see its influence, right? Because I'm watching yeah. this movie, I'm like, this is torture porn before torture porn like was a thing yeah and it's it's funny in that interview the interviewer even said that ilsa's torture methods a lot of them were worse than saw and oh yeah and 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 diane thorne in the interview like it bothered her because in in real life even though she played the sadistic Nazi prison guards so perfectly. And I can talk about why she played it perfectly if 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 you want, because I love Diane Thorne. She was one of my mm -hmm. favorites. In 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 real life, Diane was very charming and she was very empathetic. She was very caring. She she loved her fans. She loved meeting her fans, talking about her career, but she was also very intelligent. She studied uh uh religion. And she was an ordained minister. Oh, and that's so awesome. After, yeah, after she retired from um, acting, her and her husband, uh, Howard, who appeared in some of the Ilsa films with her, they did themed weddings in Vegas. And and she said a lot of people always wanted her to, to marry them in the Ilsa costume. And I was one of them. I was like, th I, that's why one reason why I was so devastated when she died, because like mm. a big dream of mine was to like get married and, and have her do the wedding as, as Ilsa. But it was funny. This is the type of, of woman she was. She would wear like the leather of it, mm -hmm. but she would 
wear the Nazi insignia. She would just put something else on, like a like a you know a flag or like a yeah bones or something like that. She would never marry someone dressed in the in the full costume. But she she was a very Diane was a very like actors actress, and that was another reason like I I always wanted to meet her because I always had the feeling that like. If we ever worked together, if I ever met her, we'd probably be like best friends because so much of our <laughs> philosophy of like just acting in life is is so much the same. And I mean, I, I don't know how much of like a history you want me to get into with like her and the, the Ilsa films, but it's like I can go on with how she got the role and her thoughts on that, like if you think it'd be interesting or whatever. <laughs> well, before we do that. Yeah, direct I... me because I'll go on. <laughs> Oh, no worries, no worries. But before we do that, I just wanted to say, because I just just finished watching it, and there's a scene in this film that reminded me of of Terrifier 2. Which one? Which scene? So, spoilers for both Ilsa the She-Wolf of the SS and Terrifier 2, um, everyone listening. I think Terrifier 2 got its inspiration for that the bedroom scene where Art the Clown just oh just kills that teenage girl for like a half hour yeah and she just won't die on mm-hmm. um, the one girl who gets tortured by Ilsa and like and won't break exactly and then when oh. she's like walking at the end and like yeah I'm just like it's the same to me it's the same thing uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and that's such a terrifying scene when when Diane is tied up and and yeah. Marks like just slams that door and just walks through. You know who who Maria Marks is, right? You know who that actress is, right? No. That's Melvin Van Peebles' ex-wife. That's Mario Van Peebles' mom. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did not catch that. <laughs> That's like um I I remember when I found that out because it's like I love researching like the actors and stuff in there to see like what else they did or like if they're still acting or whatever. And then when, like when I typed her name into Google, like it came up, it was like children, Mario Van Peebles. I was like, what? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> Ilsa the She-Wolf of the SS, that was wild. And I'm still processing it. So I'm like- Want to know where they, where they filmed it? Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Sorry. I thought I was going to guess it and then nothing came to mind. So, yes, I want to know. <laughs> Have you ever heard of or seen the old 70s TV show um, Hogan's Heroes? I knew it was something. Like, I knew they, it was going to be something they, like that. They filmed it on the old abandoned Hogan's Heroes set. And the one of the reasons why they were able to get permission to film is mm-hmm. it's the spoiler alert since the the camp gets destroyed at the end and gets blown up and all the buildings collapse right. the studio was like oh this is going to save us money we don't have to worry about <laughs> demolishing the Hogan hero set <laughs> that's amazing right? <laughs> <laughs> that is um, i well i knew it was going to be i was like i don't know why i Maybe I never watch Hogan's Heroes, but I know of it. Yeah. It's like I was born in the mid 90s, so I'm a child of the 2000s. <laughs> I was never going to watch Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> but I don't even know if 
I'm sure you can find it somewhere. It's on like Off one of the streaming services, I'm sure. Yeah. And but like I I've been aware of it because it's always it's referenced in a lot of things. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um. So it still has its impact on pop culture. But uh, that is hilarious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did Diane Thorne? What is her history with Ilsa? Because I know you really want to talk about it and I really want to know. <laughs> she's such an interesting actress. So Diane Thorne was actually classically trained as, as an actress and she was a comedian. She worked on Broadway. She worked in Vegas. She produced shows in Vegas and she was also a showgirl in, in Vegas uh, for a long time. And then she was um, living in Los Angeles and she got the call to audition for the movie and she was working as a valet. And mm -hmm. so she went into audition after her valet job and she just went in in the uniform that she would wear. And so apparently from what she said in interview, the uniform was a leather cap, a leather jacket, skin tight leather pants and the boots. So she kind of had the same outfit as in the, the film. And so she went in and auditioned and they had her stay around and read a couple of more. And then they gave the role to another actress. And then a couple of days later, they called her and they said, the other girl had to drop out. Would you do it? And Diane said that was like the story of her career. She was always called <laughs> in to like replace someone or she was like the second or third choice. And so she, uh, that's how she got it. She just went in dressed like that and she used her uh, training as, as an actress in it. You know, she, me and her kind of um, have the same training. Like we, she never made choices in her acting. She always just kind of like lived in the moment and went off her instincts. And that's how I am as an actor. I never mm -hmm. make choices. I just kind of go like with what I'm feeling. And that's what she did in the audition because she got it so late. She didn't, she just went in and just like did whatever came naturally to her. But the interesting thing is the Ilsa film it was, it wasn't the first Nazi exploitation film, but it was the first one that used this kind of trope of having a beautiful uh, woman with big boobs and having naked girls and sex scenes. And so you'll see in later uh, Nazi exploitation films that came out after Ilsa that they do kind of copy that. And they're not as good as, she-wolf and i think one of the reasons is a lot of the actresses that they used as the leads in these other films they weren't trained and they weren't really taking the role seriously and i think why people like ilsa so much and why it was so successful back then and why it's kind of still a cult classic and people still talk about it now is you can see that like diane thorne was taking it as a serious acting job. Like she created the character, she's having fun with it. She's, you know, she changed the voice to do the accent. You know, she's using her training as an actress. And I think that's something that's missing in a lot of the other Nazi exploitation films with, with the actresses that they used as the genre grew. 
But it's kind of interesting too. She Wolf of the SS, Ilsa is actually based off of a real Nazi female camp guard. She's based off of Ilsa Cook, who was known as the Bitch of Buckenwald. This one was kind of the first one to kind of do that too, to kind of use that real, you know, essence yeah. of, a, of a real person. But they did that with the other films too that came later with uh tigress of siberia they used the fact that prisoners in the in the gulags were fed to tigers and there's a lot of scenes of ilsa feeding men to her pet tiger in harem keeper of the oil sheiks they based it off of that you know these young college girls were being kidnapped and flown over to the middle east and being sold into these harems and stuff and diane thorne said that it was based off of a a girl that she knew and she escaped when the sheik took her to london on a shopping spree and this girl ran to the embassy and then in the last one wicked warden there was actually a hospital prison in portugal where women who were deemed mentally ill because they were like prostitutes or they were lesbians or whatever were sent here and they were tortured and and killed so all of the films were kind of in a sense based off of fact and i think maybe that's why they're enjoyable too because it's like they were taking these historical facts and just kind of amping them up yeah that's really interesting because i know that there were um, I, I knew that there were these Nazi, like, I guess, like, exper- like torture experiments, basically. I knew that was a thing. Yeah, and you can kind of see the influence of kind of like yeah. Mengele's experiments on people in, in She-Wolf too. They kind of like combined Ilsa Cook and, and Joseph Mengele. Right, right. And I think it's, think it's really, uh, like I, like I said earlier, I liked Ilsa a lot more than I liked Cobra Woman. But I think Ilsa, the she-wolf of the SS, like you were saying, I think that film's playing with a lot of different ideas. Yeah. And it's still... Like fear, again, of like the Mm -hmm. men like being castrated and like not being able to please a, a, a woman and that fear of like, you know, women in power and strong women and you know, the whole idea that women are stronger than men, that they can endure more, they can endure more pain, um, all of that. It is it is very interesting. You wouldn't think that a, a film like that would kind of have these kind of deep subject matters, and maybe they don't. Maybe I'm just look, reading too much into it, but... <laughs> well, I feel like the reason why the She-Wolf of the SS has a stain power, because when when you first... When we were messaging and you first brought them up, I'm like, oh, I have no clue what these movies are. I Googled Ilsa movies. Ilsa, the She-Wolf of the SS came up. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what this movie is. (laughs) I know of this. I've never seen it. And um, I didn't quite know what it was. But at the same time, I knew it was a cult classic. I knew it had staying power. And I knew that it, it influenced the horror genre, even though it doesn't get the recognition that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre does yeah. or and it's, The it's, Exorcist. It's funny. It kind of not ruined Diane Thorne's career, but it kind of it typecast her mm-hmm. into that kind of role. And she wasn't able to really go into mainstream 
Hollywood, which I think is a tragedy. And I think our business like really missed out um, on it. But, you know, again, like there's there's interviews with Diane where she's talking about, you know, she brought uh, celebrity friends of hers to the premiere of mm -hmm. uh, the the film. And she said that when it was over, one of the guys that she was with, this famous actor, he turned to her and he said, Diane, you just destroyed your career. You're never going to work in Hollywood again after this. But then she ended up doing like the the other Ilsa films and it's like people yeah. still know her. She's a legend. She is like this horror icon. Ilsa is maybe not up there at the same level as like Freddie or Jason, but I think, you know, she could give them a run for their money. And I just know that like a lot of a lot of the horror filmmakers work in well then and then work in today. Like, you know, filmmakers like Rob Zombie and Eli Roth and Damien Leone love this. Like I, I can yeah. see this film's influence on their films. Oh, totally. Totally. Uh, like <laughs> I said earlier, like my brain made the she wolf of the SS to terrify her to connection instantly. <laughs> so while I, while I, and this is, from a point way earlier while i don't think the she wolf of the ss will ever there'll be i don't think there'll ever be a film like it again i do think there are film there are going to be films that take elements from it yeah and just to speak on just how popular the first three ilsa films were the last one wicked warden isn't even an ilsa film she's not playing Ilsa, whereas in Harem Keeper and Tigress, her character is still called Ilsa, but in, in Wicked Warden, even though it's called Ilsa the Wicked Warden, the, the original title was actually Greta the Mad Butcher because her character's <laughs> name is Greta. And that's why even she's got the red hair in that instead of the blonde. But Jess Franco, the director, because the, the films were so popular and because it was Diane Thorne, he tagged on the the Ilsa title for for a lot of the international release so that they could kind of milk that and and get the money from that there was supposed to be another one that never the, the only thing that ever came up of the the other one is like a concept art uh and a concept poster that actually appeared in the Washington Post but it was supposed to be Ilsa meets Bruce Lee and the Devil's Triangle uh oh. but Bruce but, but Bruce Lee like died but they found oh, no. another actor named Bruce Lee who spelled it L-I. And Diane Thorne actually took martial arts and learned how to do martial arts for it, but they never got a script together. They never did uh, anything of it, which I think that would have been a fun, a fun movie. Oh, for sure. I agree 100%. <laughs> so this, this has been a lot of fun. It has. I got it. I got to ask the titular question of the show. Yeah. Now, now we have two icons. I'm going to pick Ilsa because I think she's the most iconic. Okay. I also think you're going to come up with a really fun answer. <laughs> it depends on how graphic I can get. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a horror movie podcast. So <laughs> if you find yourself in the clutches of Ilsa the She-Wolf, mm -hmm. would you die? I actually think that I would survive. Ooh, yes. why is that? Okay, so, you know, spoiler alert, Ilsa castrates men because they can't satisfy her and, and the 
one guy that, you know, leaves with his thing intact, you know, it's because he can hold off coming. And so he can't satisfy her. So I would survive because one, I've been told by most of my past lovers that I have a really nice dick. Um, <laughs> also also kind of like the hero of, of Ilsa, um, I can stay hard and I can come multiple times. So mm-hmm. we, you know, I wouldn't stop until she was completely satisfied. So she'd probably keep me around. Nice. I would die. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not even a question. I'm watching this movie and I'm like, because I know it's always like, I mean, I know why I'm watching this movie. It's for the Would You Die podcast. Yeah. And I, I think I don't even think it's like five or six minutes in where you see like the first castration. Yeah, and at that point, <laughs> yeah. And at that point, I'm just like, well, I know my answer for the for the podcast question. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> this is fun. This is probably one of the more uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Risque, risque <laughs> podcast episodes I've done. I haven't well, gotten this. That's what I'm known for. <laughs> I like it. I like. I haven't gotten Dang. this risque since I was forced to play fuck Mary kill with Jason, Michael and Freddie. So <laughs> I bet that'd be interesting. What were your answers? All right. All right. I'll tell you mine. And then I got to ask you. So, okay. all right. So mine was, I would, what I would do is I would, I don't remember. Oh, you know what? I don't remember my aunt. This was uh. almost a year ago. So I'm going to, I don't know if this is going to align with what I said previously. This was almost a year ago, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to give you different answers now. And I'll tell you why I say them. First off, I'm going to marry Jason because he loves his mom. He is a good boy at heart. And all he's doing is protecting his mom's honor. Aww. And if I, if we were married, he would be protecting my honor. Okay. So, I feel like Jason would just be my big, strong, protecty boy. Aww. I think I would fuck Freddy. Okay. And I would kill Michael. Okay. And that's because Michael is pure evil. Hmm. Freddy at least is going to give me a good time. Like okay. he might be super ugly and hideous to touch, but he's going to make me laugh. And that's the whole distance. Michael would like I, he he's. He's so impersonal. Hmm. So I'd kill him. Okay. <laughs> How about you? I would probably marry Jason. And not just because Friday the 13th Part 2 is like one of my favorites and was one of the first like adult horror movies that I saw. But <laughs> I mean, also like, you know, he's around all these like beautiful men and women. So it's like you could at least have a little fun and a little affair on the side before he kills them. Um, (laughs) I would actually, I think I would fuck Michael just because Mm. I think that could be a really fun, interesting, like hate fuck. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Like a little rough with you and like all that. So I think that could be interesting. He likes choking. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be kind of interesting. And I would um, kill Freddy because I don't want him in my dreams. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Well, this has been a lot of fun. I love how completely off the rails we got at the very end. But 
that that's what makes this fun. That's what makes podcasting a lot of fun for both us and hopefully the listener. Yeah. So <laughs> it'll be cool to like when you when you watch the the last three Ilsa films, like if if you have me back on to like talk about them, I think that could be fun to like hear your thoughts. I'll let you know for sure. They're just so like each one is so different. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's what I I love when a franchise can change it up and have like their core elements, but then play with everything else. Yeah, I feel like honestly, I think Ilsa is like the original like Jason or Chucky or Michael Myers because she dies at the end of each movie, but then she comes back in the next one like completely fine. Do they ever like, bother to explain it? No, and they never <laughs> bother to explain the time traveling that this woman does. So it's like she starts off, you know, Nazi, you know, prison camp at in, you know, in the 40s, and then with the the harem i don't even know what time period it's supposed to be maybe like the 60s and mm. then with tigris you're in you know it starts off in the siberian gulags in like 1955 and then it jumps forward to like 1977 in montreal and diane thorne is still looking beautiful and hasn't aged and then in wicked warden i don't even know when it's supposed to be let's just say like 70s <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Right? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely let you know uh, when I get to watching them. And then uh, where can the people find you, find you and your work? So um, I'm on social media and I try to respond to people if you send me messages or whatever. Um, I have a fan page on Facebook official Joe Filipponi. My Instagram is official Joe Filipponi, where I post all of you know my work, acting stuff, directing stuff, anything that's coming out, I'll promote it there. I'm on Twitter, uh, Joe Filipponi, and I'm on TikTok, Joe Filipponi. Um, <laughs> and then I do post uh, clips of of stuff that I've done and and some of my um, films that I've directed on my YouTube channel. Um, which is www.youtube.com slash the hip hop Joe. And I'm also going to be starting a review channel on YouTube where I talk about films and TV shows and I guess kind of review them, but it's just like, I love films, so I'm never really going to bash them. Even if I don't like something, I still find stuff that I love about it. That one hasn't launched yet, but that's going to be called um, uh, Cinephile Chemistry 101. And I'll nice. be posting links on my socials when when the launch comes. Awesome. I'll post the links to your socials in the show description okay. as well. Thank you. Um, so everyone listening, if you didn't catch that, you just go in the show notes and then you can click. <laughs> yeah, say hi to me. If you, yes. If, if you've seen the Ilsa films or Night of the Cobra Woman, let me know what you think. Even if you hate them, like, I don't care. I love, like, <laughs> different opinions, like, and, and all that stuff. Or if you've got, like, you know, I'm always on the lookout for cool horror films to watch. So anyone, like, listening, if it's like, oh, you like Night of the Cobra Woman, you need to check out this one. Or you like the Ilsa films, check out this one. <laughs> yes. All righty. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
Thanks again to Joe for coming on the show to discuss the 70s exploitation hidden gems. A reminder that Ice Scream, my second horror short film, which was written and directed by yours truly, got accepted to its first festival. It will be playing at the Motor City Legacy Horror Convention and Film Festival. If you're interested in seeing Ice Scream on the big screen, you can catch it this weekend, April 14th through the 16th, 2023, at the Sheraton Detroit Metro Airport in Romulus, Michigan. I hope to see you there. Another reminder, I just launched a Patreon. Link will be shared in the show notes, but you can find it as patreon.com slash Podcast. There are monthly bonus episodes, movie commentaries, and so many more perks. Plus, you're supporting your favorite monster kid, yours truly. I hope you consider joining. And to you lovely souls who already joined, I love you. On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I watched last week, I didn't watch any. However, some of the films I did watch, Godzilla vs. Kong, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Dungeons and Dragons, Thieves Among... Honor Among Thieves, I almost messed that up, all of those feature monsters. So, like, close enough. Also, Godzilla and King Kong both got their start in horror, so... And Godzilla vs. Kong just slaps. That's that's a great movie. Empire Strikes Back slaps. Like, come on. I did a Star Wars episode. We're good. We're good here. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast, where it's become mostly supposed of gizmo dancing to random music, I find. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend, Josie Palmer. Next week is finally Evil Dead Rise week. A lot of my friends got to see the early screenings of it, and I'm really, really, really fucking jealous of them. But also kind of happy for them, too. Like, I'm not... Yeah, they're my friends, and I'm happy they got... But, uh, regardless, I can't wait to see it. We got an Evil Dead episode coming your way next week. It's gonna be awesome. Until next time, I'm Austin Taurus. Try not to die. <laughs>